So I know we've used that video before, but man, it's uh, powerful, isn't it? Very clever. Um, but it has the idea of changing our mind, literally like reversing our thinking. Um, have, you ever, have you ever changed your mind? Sure, we all have, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's very easy to change our mind. Uh, in fact, let me give you an example. Pastor Kerry Haynes uh, tells the story of a guy who changed his mind about his ex-girlfriend, his ex-fiance, and he wrote this letter to her. He said, My dearest Susan, I've been so desolate ever since I broke off our engagement, simply devastated. Won't you please, please consider coming back to me? You hold a, a special place in my heart no other woman could fill. I could never find another woman quite like you. I need you so much. Won't you forgive me and let us make a new beginning? I love you so. Yours always, John. P.S., congratulations on winning the Powerball. John changed his mind pretty easily, right? Of course, we, we understand why, right? Sometimes changing our mind is difficult, though, isn't it? Like, sometimes it's difficult to change our habits, our thinking, um, our way of life. And yet, the truth is, God calls us to a radical change of mind, to a radical change in our thinking for our own good and for the good of our marriages and the good of our church family. And so today we're going to look at a passage that contains three ways that, that helps us understand this idea of changing our mind. And so if you would, join me in Philippians chapter 2. If you're using uh, one of the chair Bibles, it is page 947. And those chair Bibles are there for you to take. If you don't have a Bible or if you would like a Bible in a different translation, um, you're welcome to take those home with you. And, and while you're turning, I want to welcome those watching online. We're, we're grateful to have you. It's, it's great to have you as part of our worship this morning. Um, I want to welcome back our people from Bainbridge and from Cincinnati. Uh, they had live preaching last Sunday, but they're, they're back now watching the live stream with us today. So glad to have you all watching us. And uh, just a reminder of where we were last week, the, the big idea last week was this, that marriage is a mission to be more like Jesus. And really, we're going to continue that theme today that really could be our big idea for, for today's message as well as we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 2. So as we're there, so let's do something that we haven't done in a while. You guys, some of you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's Word. We're going to read an extended passage here. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but follow along in, in whatever translation you have. Uh, but let's, let's give respect to the reading of God's Word. Starting right at verse 1, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? This is God's word. Hear it, believe it, live it. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we, we reflect on this idea of, of marriage being, preparing us, and it's a mission to be more like Jesus, I think we, we look at this and we say, in this passage, it describes a mindset. In fact, I would say that the key verse of this passage that we just read is this, is verse 5. And, and maybe some of you grew up in the church and you remember this, this verse this way from the King James. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, having the same mind as Jesus. I think the, the verse that also comes to mind here is, in, is Romans chapter 12, where it talks about that, that as we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, it is a process that we go through. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is working to make you more and more like Jesus every day. And in the description of that process in Romans chapter 12 is that it is a transformation that takes place by the renewing of your mind. Now, let me just look at this verse from a couple other translations. The NIV says it this way, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I, I think that adds some clarity and that helps us. And then here's the Here's the New Living Translation that we just read, that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So as we talk about that mindset, that attitude, well, well what, what is that? How do we describe that? So we have to kind of work our way back, uh, start at the beginning of this chapter, and, and pick out really three key things. And the first one is this in verse 2. In verse 2, at the end, it says that we should be loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. We are to be like-minded. Now, when I say that, I want to be clear that, that it, it doesn't say we are to be identically minded, right? We are to be like-minded. So what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. So, so for instance, when I say the word unity... Unity does not necessarily mean uniformity, right? It doesn't mean exactly the same. It's not 100% agreement. I'll give you a couple examples. So our pastoral staff, if you got them all together in a room, there's, we have five pastors, right? If you asked us what our opinion are regarding the end times, we have five pastors, you'd probably have six answers. Do the math on that one, Okay. Uh, listen, we just had a, a, a three-hour session where the pastors and elders got together. We had our Bibles open. We had our, our Bible study software open. We're, we're, we're plowing through the Scripture, talking about a controversial subject. And we had different opinions. But listen, at the end of the, of the three-hour conversation, first of all, we all loved each other. We all, we all came to an agreement on a general statement that we could all support. 
And the fact is that we are still of one purpose. We are still of one mind. Our unity is working towards the same purpose and the same goal, right? What is our mission statement here at Brian? More and better Jesus followers. And we are in 100% unity in agreement in working towards that. And, and we talk about the, the three main ways that we do that. We do that through the growth process, we do that through groups, and we do that through worship gatherings. We're, we're in 100% agreement. We're in unity in that. So if we have differing opinions on, on, on some minor theological issues here or there, like, that doesn't matter. That's, that we're still like-minded. All right, well, let's translate that to marriage. In, in the marriage, like, are we going to have 100% agreement on everything? If you do, I want to meet you afterwards, okay? Like, my wife and I really need to spend some time talking with you. I mean, isn't it the, the, the rule of thumb, and, it's, and I mean, maybe this is a generalization, but we often say that opposites attract, right? And a lot of times that's because what, what my strengths and, and weaknesses are are complemented by my wife's strengths and weaknesses. What my weaknesses are are oftentimes her strengths, and, and what's her weaknesses are my strengths, right? We, two are better than one. And so... We need to be like-minded. We need to have the same goals. We need to be in general agreement on the things that matter most. But on the minor things, let's not, let's not stress over those. Let's not, let's not get bent out of shape of those, over those things. So that's the first mind change, the, the change of mind that we need to have. But here's the second one. The second one is that we should be humble-minded. Verses 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So what, it, what does it mean to be humble? I mean, does it, does it mean don't brag? Um, I don't know, arguably the, the best baseball player that ever lived was Ty Cobb. And Ty Cobb once said this. He said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. All right, this morning I'm not asking you to follow Ty Cobb as the example of a humble person, okay? But what, what is humility? I mean, is it, is it saying, you know, oh, we're not self-promoting? Or is it saying that somehow we, we don't try to make ourselves look better? I think the answer to this thankfully, is right here in this passage because we have the example of Jesus Christ and what he did to show what true humility is. And so if we go down to verses 6 through 8, we see this. It says, Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When we think of the example of Jesus Christ, what was, what was Jesus like before his birth in the manger? See, Jesus was God. Jesus had all of the, the benefits 
and the rights and privileges of being God in heaven. And, and we see in John chapter 1, verse 1, where it talks about that in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus describes himself in the book of Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is coming. Jesus Christ was God himself, enjoying all the benefits of heaven before his time on earth as a human being. Think about it. He had all the glory. He had all the power. He had all the beauty, all the comfort of the universe. And yet it says that he emptied himself. He gave up, in verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges. In fact, if you have a, if you have a physically printed Bible, uh, I would encourage you to underline this word. If you have an app, maybe you can highlight it in color or something. The, the word in verse 7, it starts out, it says, instead, instead of all those things, he came to earth. He gave up all the heavenly glory to live among us and to die on a cross for us, to die a terrible, painful, physical death, but also to take our sins to carry the even even more devastating was the spiritual weight that he carried in, in bearing our sins on that cross. That that is the example that Paul gives us when he describes humility. Now here's the thing: we live in a country, we live in a culture that's very big on our rights and what we deserve. And don't get me wrong, listen, I, I believe that every person has, has inalienable rights, human rights, and that, that we should be treating all people with dignity. I believe that that's a biblical idea because every person is an image bearer of God. Even though we are sinful and we are a fallen imitation of, of God, God created us in, our, in his image, and so each person deserves respect and compassion. But listen, in our personal relationships, the reason that we struggle is often the fact that we hold on to our rights. Think about the, the marriage. Marriages fall apart because one or both of the people involved are clinging on to their rights. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to spend my money the, the way I want to. Marriages fall apart because we're clinging to our rights. And let's face it, even our, even our friendships can struggle at times because we cling to our rights. If we're honest with ourselves, we even lose our testimony with, with unbelievers because we cling to our rights. But listen, Jesus modeled something for us just the opposite. Even though he was God, even though he had all those infinite rights and privileges of being God, he emptied himself. He gave himself up. He stepped aside and stepped away from those rights. That's humility. So that brings us to, back to verse 5 and, 
And, and really, it's, it's just a summation of what we've been talking about, that, that all this idea of, of being in unity and, 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 and in humility, it is being like Jesus. Humility in marriage. Emptying ourselves of our, our rights and privileges for the benefit of our spouse. Humility in our, in our church relationships. Emptying ourselves of our rights and privileges to love someone else. Our, our relationships with unbelievers. Humility is emptying ourselves of our rights and privileges to love someone else. Now, here's the challenge. So all the married folks, I want you to raise your hand. All right? Yeah. Okay. Married folks, tell me if this statement is true. Marriage is an imperfect person trying to live with and love another imperfect person. Can I get an amen? All right? I want you to turn to the person next to you and go, you are not perfect yet. Okay, so that one was easy and fun, right? Now turn to him and say, I'm not perfect yet. Right? All right, here's another way of putting this. And maybe this is a little bit strongly worded, but, but here's the point. Marriage is just one sinner sinning with, for, or against another sinner. I mean, that kind of covers the, all the bases, right? You're sinning with them, for them, or against them. But the fact is that we are all sinners and we're trying to come together and have these relationships together with one another. And the fact is that, that a lot of us enter marriage selfishly thinking that we are going to change the other person to become who we want them to be, right? But yet, the fact is relationships are the same way. We can, just, we can replace the word marriage with relationships and say the same thing, that we're just one sinner sinning with, for, or against another sinner. You see, that, that's the challenge of this idea of humility. Now, last week we were in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and that passage is, is specifically about marriage. But I want to take a step back into Ephesians chapter 4. Because Ephesians chapter 4 kind of brings this thought together. It says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, you know, what's interesting about Ephesians chapter 4, though, is just like Philippians chapter 2 that we're looking at today. The context of this is about the church. It's not about marriage. In fact, Ephesians 5, the passage that we looked at last week, is, is the, the, the marriage is described, as, is a way of describing the principles that, we, that, that God wants to have happen at the church. And so as we, we talk about this, we realize that, that God created both institutions, the institution of marriage, the institution of the church, and he created those to help us to grow in our humility. I mean, really, when you describe the church, it's simply this. It's imperfect disciples needing other imperfect disciples as they covenant together to love one another and show grace towards each other and follow Jesus together, right? You think that, that's a pretty good description of, of what happens in the church. 
Listen, church life is hard sometimes, right? Like sometimes we don't, we don't fully agree. Sometimes there's certain people that just affect us a different way. But the bottom line is, it's where true disciples are being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And that means becoming more humble like Jesus became more humble, like Jesus was humble. Well, if that's true of the church, then it certainly should be true of marriage, right? Marriage, marriage should be imperfect disciples that are covenanting together. You make a promise, you, you're living together, and your you're imperfect disciples are coming together to love one another, to show grace with one another. But yet marriage is hard at times, right? Right? Like, hey, marriage, marriage is hard at times, but... But listen, it's, two, it's, it's imperfect disciples trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ each day. And so I think that really leads us to this thought. That marriage is a laboratory for moving from selfish to selfless. Like really, isn't that the definition of humility that we see in the example of Jesus? being selfless. You see, in, in, in the light of eternity, when we talk about marriage in light of eternity, both human marriage and the relationships that we have in the church are, are both designed to point us to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We see in Revelation chapter, or in, in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the fact that the bride of Christ the church will come together and there will be a, a, a supper that will be a, a great time of rejoicing, of bringing together the church as the bride of Christ. And marriage and the church are both an image that points us to that. But listen, also in light of eternity, God knows our hearts and he knows that we struggle with this idea of humility. I, I know I do. But yet, in, in light of eternity, he wants us to understand and grow in our relationship with him. And so, in order to do that, he's given us the church, and he's given us marriage, he's given us relationships to help us have that practice, that relationship practice of learning to become more humble, learning humility like his son Jesus, that we might become more and more like him each day. You see, it's the idea of changing our mind, changing our mindset, and frankly, doing that on a daily basis, being willing to give up our rights and privileges and putting others first, living in true humility. How are you changing your mind? Are you changing it each day? Becoming more and more like Jesus? following his example of humility? Are you changing your mind? Are you, are you letting the Holy Spirit transform your thinking and changing your mind? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning, I just want to take a, a moment to, to talk to those that have not made the decision to follow Jesus. If you have, if you have never made that decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ 
I want to tell you that today is a great, today is the perfect day for that. Because Jesus paid your penalty for your sin so that you could have a restored relationship with God. So this morning, if you've never made that decision, I would encourage you, come, come forward, talk to one of us. Let, give us an opportunity to show you from God's word what that means. If you're watching online, send a message to the moderator. Uh, contact us through the website. Whatever it takes to get a hold of us, send us an email. Let us know that you want to know more about becoming a Jesus follower. For those of you who are Jesus followers, we talked earlier in the message the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit within you. We, we don't believe in, in religion around here. We don't, we don't believe in try harder. We, we believe in, in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's actually, it's actually yielding. It's, it's allowing the, the Holy Spirit to work in us and, and to change our mind, change our thinking to become more and more like Jesus each day. So I would simply ask you to do this. Each day, ask that question of yourself. And ask that question as, as you pray, as you study God's word. God, how are you changing my thinking today? Am I becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ? If we all do that, I think we all will start to practice humility at a whole new level. Gracious God, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up all of the, the rights and privileges of heaven, all the splendor and glory to come down and to live among us and to show us what a perfect, holy life is like. But more importantly than that, to, to, to suffer on the cross, to, to shed his blood, to cover our sin, to pay the price for our sin. And the fact that he rose again, that he not only defeated sin, but he defeated death itself. And that we have the promise of eternal life through him because of what he's done. God, we, we, we can't even begin to thank you enough for those truths. And God, we pray that you will work in our hearts. Help us to be yielded to your spirit. Help us to become more and more like your son, Jesus, each and every day. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.